Today in the Marshall Pro Podcast, we have your listener Q&A episode of the Week in IndyCar. And here's a little format. My name's Marshall Pruitt. I cover IndyCar racing. I have for a long time. Talk about it on a weekly basis, driven by your questions sent in via Twitter, Reddit, and the good old Facebook. I send out a call for question, usually Monday or so each week. And then we get through as many as we can. Don't always get through all of them. So we ask you to send in the ones that you really wanted answered. We might have missed I have about an hour and a half or so for us to do this tonight, Monday the 6th, getting started here at 6.24 p.m. Mrs. Pruitt, my rather amazing wife, just busted her behind in physical therapy, and I try and sneak this show in while she is in the shower. Uh, So there's a little bit of inside baseball for you. Refer to this show, specifically this one, as my unpolished turd. Among all the things that I do here, this is the one where I leave in all the mistakes, all the errors, all the mispronunciations and malapropisms and just stupidity, because it's a accurate representation of who I am. The show is brought to you by Cooper Tires, folks that also power the road to Indy. All three levels of tires are Coopers on the road to Indy. We also have the Justice Brothers, automotive chemicals, lubricants, all kinds of amazing things. Used them since I was 16 years old. No joke. It's reality. Also, our good pals at torontomotorsports.com just launched a new charity t-shirt with our man Ryan Hunter Ray and his Racing for Cancer program. So if you take a look at the Toronto Motorsports Twitter feed, Facebook, you name it, you'll find the little cartoon anvil that is missing Ryan Hunter Ray something where we're trying to get rid of his bad luck. Those T-shirts, those are going up for sale right now. Everyone that you buy, $7.28 American is going to go to Racing for Cancer. So fun thing there, thanks to good old RHR and Derek Koska, my friend and partner at torontomotorsports.com for making that possible, and Roger Warwick for the great art. And then finally, Bell Racing Helmets USA. I mean, what more do I need to say? They're awesome. Uh, they have the majority of the IndyCar drivers. So, I mean, we know that those drivers are quality people. Of course they choose quality. They go with Bell Racing Helmets, USA. So, going to get to your questions in just a moment. If this is your first time listening, I usually open with a couple of, whether it's personal updates, what's happening in the Pruitt family, or some observations about IndyCar, and then we get into your questions. So, if you are just here for the Q&A, Check the episode description, and I have listed the exact moment to forward to to get to that Q&A. Spent a lot of the Sunday, the 5th of July, just doing my what's becoming a newish approach to analyzing IndyCar races, and that's just doing a brain dump. And so having covered IndyCar now for, what, almost 14 years or so, uh, having been in and around open wheel, since 1986 having worked at indycar for about five years 97 through 2001 uh yeah this is my thing i love it and format wise there the post-race analysis has just gone through a lot of different styles over the years and so the new thing that i'm trying this year is just a bit of a brain dump it's not super polished it's not meant to trust me 
uh, the Pulitzer organization is never getting one of these for consideration, but just meant to be a little bit more stream of consciousness and maybe diving into some of the things that happened with a few drivers that didn't stand out during the broadcast, during the radio uh, transmission there or otherwise. So lot there. I don't really want or need to rehash all of that. So I'll just bring a little story <laughs> to you here. And this is pure fun, kind of. Uh, it's what we get in this sport sometimes. Uh, call it vaporware, call it charlatans, call it just really odd people. So, I don't know, 10 days ago, something like that happened to post a item from Racer Magazine on my little personal Facebook page, not the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook page. This was written by my man, Robin Miller, talking about Indy 500 tickets, the crowd size, you name it. This is the announcement that IMS will only host 175,000 people for the Indy 500, effectively half, half capacity. And so in that story that I share, just truly, like I do five times a day or more, something on Racer, whether I wrote it, Robin, who knows, I think it's interesting. I just shared on my Facebook page. Uh, among the limited number of responses, there was one from long time ago, very brief IndyCar entrant, Gary Trout, who, some of you may know, has announced in concert with the Throckmortons, Bill and Stephanie, they intend to enter a car for R.C. Enerson in the 2020 Indy 500 under the Top Gun Racing banner. Known thing, been announced, there you go. So, out of the blue, I think this was not this past Friday, but the Friday before, uh, got this just out of nowhere comment from Gary in reaction to IMS saying, sorry, we're only doing half crowd size saying, well, this is the reason why we're pushing our Indy 500 plans to 2021. Our sponsor, I honestly don't remember if it was singular or plural. I think it was singular and I've, I know who the sponsor is. I won't mention it. uh, Although based on Gary's treatment back towards the guy talking in the microphone, uh, I'm not sure why I'm being polite, but we'll give it a shot. Um, Their sponsor demands a full house, full capacity. And therefore, since only half the audience will be there for the Indy 500, well, they're going to push the program to 2021. No Indy 500 entry coming in August. Wow. Well, that's a really interesting thing to share randomly in a comment beneath a story about Indy 500 audience size seems like something that you know would be said to a a wider audience but okay um I won't pretend to know Mr. Trout uh or his leanings but hey there you go did stand out to me though as a well that's kind of newsworthy not so much from the top gun racing won't be their standpoint more of a car count thing ah all right well that's one less team to potentially account for 
What are we down to now? So keep in mind, the only thing that Top Gun Racing has done so far that is real is compete in a virtual race, that being the Indy 500 uh, iRacing Challenge thing. And RC did very well there, I believe. All that stuff aside, bit of a weird thing. Huh, okay, wow. Well, on my Facebook page, this guy's saying his team's not going to Indy. Huh, let me reach out to a second source, second person, to ask if that's correct or not. The person who has been the one sending every single team-related piece of news and information to me slash Racer Magazine. So here's the co-owner of the team saying it. Here's the person who has given all the information, whether it's a press release or background, you name it, because they don't have an actual full PR person there. But in that person absolutely confirmed the same thing by text. Hey, Gary's saying they're not going to race. Is that true? Yada, yada. Yes. Uh, The sponsor is okay with it. Pushing to 2021. Great. Two sources, two confirmations. I think I wrote that story, I don't know, Saturday, Sunday, um, day or whatever it was. 24, 48 hours later, it was a super short story. Was not much to it. And again, the team doesn't even exist really beyond a name. File that and forget about it. Mondays, like I'm coming home today, we have a situation where uh, we got physical therapy, we got some chemo-related stuff. Sorry, just got a text from uh, an IndyCar driver about something. Um, And didn't even think about it, didn't even, just again, it was a really short little story. Hey, a team that's never existed other than saying they wanted to do something and doing one iRace isn't going to be in the Indy 500 and I don't believe they have any equipment, any anything. So, again, I barely wrote any words for it, which is befitting of the news item. So around Tuesday, I think actually sitting in my sitting with my wife in the all-day chemotherapy session, I don't remember the exact thing, but got a note from someone. Oh, it was on Twitter. Someone asked, hey, Marshall, are you going to retract your... Uh, Top Gun racing story. Uh, they're saying they're refuting what you wrote and saying they could do up to three races. And I'm like, huh? Uh, no, won't be retracting it because the guy said it and I got confirmed it from another person affiliated. And there you go. And yada, yada, yada. Uh, so if they've changed their mind, that's their prerogative. No issue. Happy to write the story that, hey, they reverse course. Um, but I just, and then I got one or two other notes too. And then I saw Mr. Trout uh, had gone to Racer Magazine's Facebook page in reaction to the story that I wrote, saying it was stretching the truth and this, that, and the other. A separate IndyCar group on Facebook. I happened to notice that someone pointed me to that he had reached out to one of the admins and said, oh, this is wrong and what. You know, this is all fake news and lies and whatever kind of nonsense. And I'm like, wow, dude is hardcore trying to tear down what he said. (laughs) The guy is truly on an active campaign here of disinformation and nonsense, 
all to paint either the writer or the media outlet as just fake news. And I'm like, well, let me go find, you know, let me go find where the guy openly stated and I'm searching and I'm, and I can't find it. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So what happened? He went back and deleted it. He went back and deleted his comment and then went on this little campaign to try and discredit and so on and so forth. So I sent him a text since I captured the essence of it in the text to the second person that I confirmed it with, I uh, screen capped that and then texted Gary as well said, Hey Gary, can't find the comment. Uh, you appeared to delete yada, yada, yada. Uh, what's going on there to which you responded. Let's talk tomorrow. And I screen capped that and just posted both of those like, yeah, buddy, look, I get stuff wrong. Of course, every week I get something wrong. Uh, if not once, more than once. Hopefully editors catch it. Sometimes they don't. Whatever. Totally used to, you know, you try and get everything perfect. Sometimes you're a little bit wide of the mark. Miss the old apex. I get that. And so I get called out on that stuff. People say, hey, Pruitt, you effed this up. You got it wrong. Got to raise your hand, swallow the pill, fix it. Yep, hate it, but it's not a question of like or love or hate. It's a question of get it right. It's totally different when a air quote team owner not just says something, but writes it and it is public. Folks responded to it, right? Huh. Uh, so that's an interesting approach. Can you ever really truly guarantee a full house? If your sponsorship is depended upon a completely packed house in theory some of the overhead shots show at the indy 500 sometimes there are portions of grandstands that aren't fully full so does that mean they wouldn't pay you know like folks are interacting with the guy so he goes back deletes his comment and everything that went with it i didn't think to screen capture it at the time because why would i need to um, and then he goes on the little campaign of pretending like it never existed. And, you know, I somehow pulled this out of my backside and was lying on him and making up nonsense. Then had a phone call with him, uh, whatever it was, Monday, Tuesday, something like that. And again, on this show, by the way, if you're listening for the first time, uh, I just tell it like it is. This is my own. I own this. It's 100% mine. Um, for what I write for my clients, it's theirs, it's their sites, their everything. So if we're just talking green light, this is mine and I use it. Um, called him, had a conversation, long conversation, started off by saying, well, Hey, let's, let's put the whole Facebook thing behind us. So we said, no, 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 no. That's actually where we're going to start. And, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of nonsense came out of that, but, uh, listen to him confirmed everything which i knew to be true doesn't have a car doesn't have an engine doesn't have tires doesn't have this doesn't have that doesn't have a shop uh, i know that there are some crew that want to help but in terms of like here's a mobilized crew sitting and ready to go you know practice for the new 500 starts in what five weeks no car no engine no tires no this no that no anything but we're going. Everything's good. And how dare you say otherwise? All right, man. So uh, as I mentioned to him in the call, you can do things however you want. You're in a free American. 
uh, just saying, brother, you want to try and pull a fast one and drag my name through the mud and talk a lot of nonsense out the side of your mouth. Like I made up something that wasn't true and was stretching the truth. And this, uh, you know, these kinds of folks tend not to be around very long. I won't share what Robin Miller said, but I can tell you that, uh, (laughs) um, there's a reason not a lot of folks uh, have taken Mr. Trout super seriously. So the one pivot here, because we always try and bring positivity as we get ready to get into your Q&A, is, boy, they have the opportunity. Uh, if they want to spend the money and make it happen, well, get a car. I don't know if anyone will provide them with an engine, but, you know, who knows? And everything else, uh, I'd love to see it happen. Truly would. I don't know Mr. Trout's partners, the Throckmortons. I've only heard that they are awesome people, truly awesome people. So while I can say that maybe the interactions from one half of the ownership side is a little uh, odd and not replete with truthiness, Uh, I do look forward to meeting him because, hey, you know, there's a lot of different people involved in racing. In particular, I look forward to meeting the Throckmortons because I've only heard great things about them. Uh, R.C. Enerson, who I've said many times on the show, many folks have said that kid has real talent that deserves to be in a quality IndyCar ride. I hope he gets in the field with them and all kinds of great things happen. Uh, I hope everything comes together i hope all the things that they don't have they do have quickly so this can be real but we hopefully will see this transition from talk and bizarre deleting and pretending of what wasn't or was said uh and out of vaporware land into reality so (laughs) i wish well i wish i could make this stuff up Although I was accused of making stuff up. But anyways, I wish I could make this stuff up, but it's actually real. So, yeah. Um, Yeah. The full conversation that we had, which I told Mr. Trout was going to record. And if he didn't want to speak, that's perfectly fine. We could end the call now. He said, nope, go ahead and record it. Uh, For what I ended up writing about, which I just let him talk, um, the stuff before that, the preamble uh, about the lies and the deleting and whatever, yeah, I'll make for uh, interesting listening um, if, if and when I ever need a little bit of uh, humor that I don't already have in my life. All right, we are going to get going with your Q&A here. Where are we going to start? Where, oh, where shall we start? Usually pick something that requires a little bit of a, uh, a deeper dive to begin, right? Try and get some sort of topical topic to lead off the show each week. So we're going to do that with our man, Matt Philpot and also our other man, Carlos Villalobos. Matt opens with, Marshall, do you get any sense that the drivers or cars are more or less stuck with the current cockplit? Cockplit. It's a new word. Uh, copyright Marshall Pruitt. Uh, stuck with the current cockpit airflow slash cooling mechanism um, as they are. Minor, minus some very minor tweaks for the rest of the year. Or might it be possible to implement some fairly major changes to drastically alter airflow and cooling capabilities? Well, 
I can tell you, Matt, that the first thing I did this morning was call IndyCar President Jay Fry. Uh, Jay is a very busy man. Haven't heard back from him yet. Uh, This is the exact thing I am wanting to find out about and write about. Yeah, so this has been a thing for a while. And I don't say that like IndyCar has been intentionally ignoring it. This is the thing that a number of drivers, though, have been pointing out back since spring training in, what was that, February? Um, Again, I feel like I might have said this shortly after the Texas race, but there was one driver who told me at Coda with this intermediate wet, dry, rain, not hot, like definitely cool, if not coldish temperatures, that even with the airflow open coming into the cockpit and the head, the helmet, the helmet ducting and such, um, even in cool conditions with airflow coming in on a coldish day, rainyish day, cockpit temperatures were not super comfortable. Now that's one driver's opinion. It's a highly skilled race winning driver. Um, but you know, how's this? I realize that despite being a big fat guy, for whatever reason, I'm pretty good in high heat. You'd think that I'd totally melt and who knows, maybe I will at some point, but I've, for whatever reason, I guess my body does a really good job of shedding heat and I don't overheat. And yet I've seen others 0% body fat or, you know, whatever else, and they struggle. So I do realize, Matt, that while an IndyCar driver might seem like a universal thing, indeed, everybody's body deals with the temperature differently. But we do know, coming out of Texas, we do know coming out of Indianapolis, uh, we're we're pushing the, the boundary of good, and for some drivers, it was worse than others. We know Scott Dixon did most of the race without the helmet, uh, cooling hose attached, and he was just fine. We know that some others were crazy marginal. Uh, I've heard what? I think Connor Daly said he lost something like 10 pounds in just liquid. <laughs> I mean, what we have here is something, Matt, that yes, although I haven't spoken with the series to get insights on this, I would say that if there was not an item coming out of Indianapolis uh, Saturday night, Saturday afternoon, that put this at the absolute top of priority with Red Bull Advanced Technologies, with PPG, with Pankle, with Delara, with you name it, with IndyCar itself, this is something that is going to need a lot of attention and a lot of immediate attention. Looking at the forecast for this weekend in Wisconsin for the doubleheader at Road America, Matt, it's not crazy hot, but it's going to be hot. Uh, also, have a doubleheader as well. So, it's going to be a lot of work going on inside the cockpit. We have another thing that cannot be ignored. And that is the amount of downforce that the drivers have to manage with the steering wheel and the lack of power steering. So 
I mean, again, I know I mentioned this in my racer brain dump. Uh, I was reading some comments from drivers who, you know, IndyCar drivers aren't tough enough and they're weak. And another one talking about how, you know, come do six hours of testing with me in a Trans Am car at Sebring in the middle of summer. And, you know, then talk to me about tough. And I'm like, you have no downforce and you have power steering. And I'm not saying it, it isn't crazy hot inside of one of those for sure with a big V8 sitting in front of you. Totally hot. Get it. But try going much faster with 5,000 pounds of downforce and zero power steering and baking and your body doing its best to reject heat while physical exhaustion is taking place, muscular exhaustion is taking place. And as we heard from some drivers as well, with where drink bottles tend to be located, those things are, it's like sipping hot tea, boiling tea, when you're just looking for some water to replenish you. So uh, you're not necessarily bringing core temperature down. So this is something, Matt, that I don't believe surprises anybody in the paddock because the chatter about this being marginal even back in a coolish rainyish february test was there uh this needs priority priority is it adding second and third cooling ducts is it you know again i don't know what all the answers might be um but this needs immediate attention because if we go to iowa right after for a double header where it's usually really hot and the work rate's crazy and it's a bull ring and you're already f- trying not to get dizzy super g forces and uh, just all these things and you go cool we're going to do a double header there and if it's as hot as it normally is uh, so yeah i would love to have more for you all i can share is that this has to be an immediate priority uh, let's go to Carlos's question on this topic. He says, will the series allow manufacturers to work with the teams to use, say, seat cooling technology in order to help the drivers in the cockpit? Or maybe Pratt & Miller with the air conditioning used in the Corvette C8R or HPD in their Acura NSX GT3. He also says, we keep praying for you and your wife. Oh, thanks. You're always, you're always really sweet, Carlos. Thank you. It's the obvious thing that if it isn't already happening, I really hope that it is. Of course, Indy cars are not closed cockpit like Pratt Miller deals with with the Corvette racing program or their involvement with the Cadillac DPIs uh, or Acura with their ARX05 DPIs or the NSX GT3s. But... Uh, I know we're talking about additional weight and we're talking about bolting more stuff onto the cars. I don't know the exact answer. If air conditioning seat cooling technology is needed, or I'm sorry, is the exact path, but it's pretty obvious that something needs to happen. Uh, The stagnant air in the cockpit is something we heard over and over and over again. There's no extraction going on here. So, or not enough, I should say. That would be, I would imagine, an area to dive into immediately because there's been the belief with the vent at the base of the aero screen that the air coming in 
would then be pulled and ex- yanked and accelerated out by the air flowing up and over the aero screen. And I'm sure that that's happening to some degree, but just based on driver comment, not enough. So if it feels like you're stewing in a sauna the whole time, even if there's a overhead extraction fan, it sounds like there's not enough being extracted. So pulling that hot air out uh, seems like that could be a really good thing to focus on very, very heavily. If some form of air conditioning, seat cooling technology is something that could be done in rapid order, then that would be great as well. I don't know if this is something that's going to get done (laughs) while we're still in summer. But I can tell you that if it's not the addition of some form of electronic system that cools, then whatever it is, aerodynamic work needs clearly that needs to happen because it's not happening to the degree teams expected. Uh, At the GMR Grand Prix, the cars had the two nose openings, the two little nostrils on the leading edge of the nose, both sides. And again, it's meant to bring in some air to cool the driver's legs a little bit or something. Again, you would hope that this would form some sort of stream that goes through and comes out the top of the aero screen. They're not big holes, so you're not really throwing a huge volume into the uh, the bottom of the cock, the base of the tub and moving that through up and on out. I don't know what the answer is that... I don't know what the answer is because there's a lot of ways to address this. I can just tell you that if it's non-electronic, non-new system, all the things here, right? Seat cooling, real AC, uh, those things, I would say you would be really wise to get Pratt Miller and HPD in uh, the road divisions as well to possibly help there from both manufacturers. And that might be a little bit of a longer thing to look into, but something needs to happen. Some testing needs to happen. Cars need to go to Indianapolis, just as we've had the tests in the past where, you know, one team or another team or one from each manufacturer, however you want to do it, this has to happen quickly. Hey, maybe Top Gun Racing could be the ones to do it, right? Just got to get him a car and an engine. And, you know. uh, sorry, that was petty, but I'm petty. This is something that, yeah, I know that it also might sound a little weird to say, hey, let's try and get some air conditioning into an open cockpit, open wheel car. Depending on where the hoses might enter the cockpit or be pointed, I mean, I I try not to do it and we try not to do it, but I know for sure there are some instances where my wife and I are driving with the air conditioning on and a window gets cracked uh, for whatever reason. And while it certainly does not maintain the lower temperature in the overall cabin, you can still feel it, and it still feels good. So, yeah, this might not be an enclosed scenario to bring it all the way down and keep it there, but if there is something in or around near the dash that is pointing or beneath the dash, that is pointing cold air at a driver 
Maybe it's a hose that connects into the suit and uh, at the driver's core and a smaller one that feeds into the helmet. Uh, again, I know that if there is a coalition of the willing, uh, this can absolutely be tackled. Let's go to Derek's D E R Y X from Reddit. Not sure if I recall you sending in questions. If not, thank you, uh, for this being your first time. So I want to ask about your take on the rules regarding pitting under caution last race, the Indy Grand Prix, Joseph Newgarden was running second before the second round of pit stops. And with willpower stall, he could have easily won the race, but the caution came and he ended up eighth or so at the restart. Just like that to go from potentially first out of the top five doesn't feel fair. Do you think it's always going to remain this way? Uh, and do you have any ideas to make this better? Could having rules like in Formula One for the road courses be a viable idea? I understand safety comes first, and the closed pits rule came as a result of a tragic event. But I also think there should be a better way to do this. Uh, I, I don't. I think this is nature. I think this is natural. I think this is exactly the way it should be. Strategy is a part of what we do. And teams choose when to pit, when not to pit. And although we try, obviously, to control every single variable, you can't control them all. And that's why I'm thankful that with the way things happen to go, the way things that are done in IndyCar, if you pit coincidentally before someone crashes, and it's at a time where a lot of the field kind of sort of was thinking about pitting, but you did it before them. And again, coincidentally, someone crashed. You reap the benefit. And if you didn't, you don't. And usually these things kind of come out in the wash. And rarely does one driver always get it wrong. If they do, they need to talk to their team. But, you know, there will be times where a driver that had nothing going on and had no business being towards the front ends up winning the race or being on the podium simply because of how fortune played itself out. And yeah, I know it can be really frustrating. I've been there and it has been frustrating. I've also been there when you get the magic. Oh, <laughs> we get to go towards the front simply because we chose to do something different than others timing wise with pitting. So I hear you. I'd say that racing, especially in the modern era, tries to be super linear, super equal, remove all variables and just right. Huh, you know, it's your team marching down the field about to score the winning touchdown and they hand it off to the running back and the dude fumbles the ball and the other team picks it up, takes it to the house, game over. And you go, what in the world? And it is, it. trust me, I'm the same guy yelling at the TV, what are you doing? It's maddening. And then again, you know, next game, they fumble. We pick up the ball. We run to the house. We win the game. Uh, I, I, I'm a storyteller kind of, sort of, that's what I do. Um, so yeah, the, the making everything super equal and 
adversity never adversely affects anyone other than the person who crashed or what it like, I don't know. I don't think that's reality. So I'm not saying your preference is wrong, different or anything else. Just saying my sensibility, since you asked for my take on the rules is boy, if you're looking for some storylines and drama and whatnot, uh, this brings it plus eh, this stuff happens. So there you go. Uh, Peter Santi, what are your thoughts on Marcus Erickson's performance in comparison to Felix's on Saturday? Do you think the presence of Marcus at Chip Ganassi Racing is having a positive impact on the team's overall performance? Well, thanks for asking, Peter. I don't know on the last part because I haven't asked. Uh, granted, uh, I will, just have not done the so are you feeling Marcus contributing to the overall performance of the team yet. Um, I know that there is a little something here just to, uh, just to think about. And that's not only do we have Marcus and a new team, we also have Brad Goldberg, super good friend, just amazing human being coming back to IndyCar for the first time in four or five years, if not longer. Uh, it's been a little while. So we have Brad getting up to speed full-time with this newish bodywork on the DW12 with a new driver. Uh, you know, you got Brad, who's an amazing race engineer, but still there's that learning aspect of getting back up to speed in IndyCar after being in the Ford GT IMSA program, then getting to work with a new driver and figuring out what that driver is like feedback-wise, their preferences for the car. If your engineering language and such is the same and getting a read and feel for your drivers, you know, mannerisms, it's not just the words they say, it's how they say it. Sometimes it's the words they don't say that might key you into what they want or need from the car. So some of those things, Peter, where might be a little early to judge, but I wrote and do believe that Marcus put in one of his best, if not his best, IndyCar drive to date on the way to, what, sixth, I believe, at Indy. So there's something there. Um, Felix had a bit of an off day. Uh, boy, it makes me wonder, had things gone differently in Texas, um, I wonder if there would have been a slightly different mindset and approach to Indy. Fell back on the start. I don't know the reason why, but I do know he fell back, I think, five or six spots. Uh, problem on pit lane, and things just really spiraled downward from there. Haven't seen many of those for Felix, where he gets to the finish, and yet it's a little bit of a cluster. He did show speed. The kid's always going to show speed. But, yeah, bit weird. How's this? Had Felix's day been Marcus's day? I don't think it would have jumped out as odd. The fact that Felix was a little bit just on the wrong foot most of the time. Yeah, that one was a little bit bizarre for sure. I do believe Marcus will be a positive addition to the team from a contributing to the engineering side to just the overall uh, strength of CGR. What would be cool to see is if Marcus can be as close to Dixie as Felix happens to be. 
I mean, when everything's going right, Felix might not have that last two thousandths of a second as Dixon, but you know, you can tell that whenever Dixie decides to retire, Felix is going to be right there to be able to keep the team moving forward. Still super early. Uh, we don't know if Marcus is capable of, of doing similar things in terms of getting that close to Scott, but I don't think he'd be far off. I just don't have a feel for what the true talent level is right now. Obviously very good, but are we talking about matching Rosenquist from race to race? It's going to be an interesting thing to learn this year. Horatio Frey says, was there any interaction with the other series? Is talking about NASCAR and IndyCar racing together at IMS. If under normal circumstances, what are the chances people would try each other's cars? Um, he says, MP, thanks for keeping on with the show and telling people to be active, not just lip service. Hey, of course. Also, I guess I'm saying that, so in theory, it's lip service. Um, I was informed by Roger Penske uh, two, three weeks ago that there's some massive never-going-to-breach-it type deal between NASCAR and IndyCar while at IMS. And to my knowledge, it was never breached. So IndyCar drivers sequestered in one area, NASCAR in another, never mingled Cars went in and out of pit lane in different locations, and just truly, we kept everybody apart. So uh, that appears to be what happened there. As for people trying one another's cars, uh, again, we know that there's desire. We hear about IndyCar drivers saying they want to go try Xfinity or whatever, whatever. We know Jimmy Johnson was meant to test for Ganassi here this week. I think more of this stuff could start to happen. Of the curiosities... Horatio, I look at the new slash young generation of cup drivers, and that's where I wonder if this might not get too far. So if we're talking about the Bush brothers, the Jimmy Johnsons and such, the Dale Earnhardts, I know he's retired now, even the Jeff Gordons, retired yet again. Some of the older, been around for a while drivers, often came up in different things, not just going around in circles, but off-road or karting or whatever else, there was some sort of background that was not just stock car specific. And I'm curious if the young generation here in Cup today, which seems by and large to be just stock car going around in circles from day one type routine, just curious if any of them really have a desire to break out of that to try an indie car indie light something like that uh, i believe most of the young indie car drivers would be all for going the other way and trying something over there just haven't really gotten a feel if the dillons and the thises and the thats would want to come over here and play with our stuff you know, maybe on an oval, I get that, but I'm just talking, hey, let's go to freaking Road America and <laughs> and hang it out. So uh, that curiosity is something that I hope we see, but I haven't seen much of it. So there we go. Nate Falkowitz. Hey, Nate. Says, I noticed in the interview with Oliver Askew after his crash that he failed to include any sponsor mentions. Is that a major rookie mistake? Just curious how that works with sponsors. And are there specifics in terms of what they expect regarding sponsor callouts? 
during pre or post race interviews and such. Uh, that's an Eagle eye there, Nate or Eagle ears. Probably. I didn't catch that. I was trying to discern his mood and was also, as I wrote a little bit concerned where he said he was both dehydrated and dizzy. And I wasn't sure if we were talking about a concussion or, or possible concussion or just the physical taxation was something that had him a little woozy, even though he what didn't even get to halfway. Um, huh. I'll, I'll throw this out just knowing the sensibilities of the new Aero McLaren SP spam. I would fully expect Oliver to have received a note after the race. Once the team got a feel that he was okay, that he might need to say such things. And that's, that's a really good observation here, Nate. Um, this is a team that is really hyper vigilant about sponsors and promotions. I, it's an assumption, so I could be totally wrong. Maybe they'll tell me if I am, who knows, but this is a team that does seem like, even if you just crashed and everything went totally wrong, man, you better get in your sponsor reads. There are probably half as many of the other half of the other teams where I don't think there would be that kind of pressure or expectation placed. If you can, that'd be great, but if not, we're not going to chew into you for it. Um, Yeah. Uh, I think this is one where... uh, uh, I don't know if a pass would have been given because of the crash, but... uh, Thanks. Thank you, Nate. Uh, Let's go to William Matson. More of a question for Kyle Novak. Well, he isn't here. So uh, how did the first combined weekend go in race control? Any knife fights break out? And if so, who won? My money is on Ari. Um, I don't know. I'll have to ask him. Although uh, I would assume they had their own race control separate from NASCARs. So if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. But I wouldn't think it would have been massively different. Uh, But hey, uh, maybe if I get a chance, I'll ask Kyle. Uh, let's see, where are we going to go next? All right, we got a surprising number of questions, so I'm going to try and get through all of them, uh, maybe by just dialing up the pace a little bit. Uh, John Ranjow, how you doing, John? I'm going to skip the New Day intro. Honestly, my brain's not quite there yet. Uh, question for you, Alexander Rossi, two races in a row, electrical failures. Uh, do you think this is a string of bad luck, something up with the Hondas or something going on with the team? Um, yeah, I mean, what happened at Texas was, he was one of them, but it wasn't, uh, that was, I think I wrote about that and discussed it on the show. That's uh, a glitch that the Chevy and Honda techs know how to work around with the McLaren ECU. So the fact that it struck him, not good, but I uh, wouldn't put that on Honda. Um what happened at Indy, from what I have heard, been told, I did ask specifically, uh, they changed everything, everything related to the fueling system, and it still didn't solve the problem. So I don't know if it ended up being an electrical thing, but I can tell you that they sure seemingly changed everything. So I wouldn't just put it down to uh, the Prince of Darkness, um, that being Lucas Electronics not involved to the series but hey if you're 
old enough to know the reference. Good on you. Uh, let's see. So do you think a string of mechanical fail- failures could play him uh, into jumping teams after 2021? Uh, should Honda be worried about keeping him in a Honda car? Um, I am aware and of the and am of the strong belief that Alexander Rossi has a personal services contract with Honda. I know that he has a great affinity for Honda as a company, the people there, etc. I think things would have to go very, very, very badly for far more races than just two for him to consider leaving. Um, I, I know that, again, uh, stepping away from who he drives for now, Andretti Autosport, or the manufacturer that powers him being Honda, uh, we know that Penske's had an interest. Uh, I would imagine, depending on what Penske's team looks like in a year or two from now, you know, they'd be silly not to be looking at him, trying to get him into their car no matter what. So even if Alexander has no more issues, wins the championship this year and wins it next year as well, I'd still think Penske's going to be calling because they're too smart not to. Uh, final thing you mentioned here, great news. Someone from IndyCar finally stood up for social justice issues. That wasn't named Jerry Hildebrand. It was our beloved baby Yoda, Zach Veach, and a tweet supporting Bubba Wallace. After he was attacked by President Trump on Twitter, do you think more will join soon? As always, big prayers for you and your wife. Thank you, John. Uh, I have not looked to see if more IndyCar drivers have said something in support of Bubba. Of the many thoughts that I had this morning when I saw that, the first one, this is true, was I just want to go back to bed. seems like I've been waking up a lot of Mondays for a while and we'll frankly be sitting there on the john and looking through whatever news on my phone and just see one or more things where it's like, man, I just want to go back to bed and try waking up again and hope that everything's good because uh, this looks like a crap fest. That happened this morning where I'm like, oh, man, come on, President Trump. Um, the second thought that I had, John, was oh, this this could be problematic in terms of drivers wanting to take a stance. Um, and again, I'm not saying against President Trump, no, uh, against social injustice, against racism, against sexism, against all kinds of very, very bad things. If Bubba Wallace sitting home, doing nothing, not tweeting at or against President Trump is getting flamed by him my first thought or second thought was I wonder if this is going to (sighs) cause those who are thinking about it for the first time, maybe speaking up and saying something in support of equality and just everything and all the positive things that are happening in the world. Um, I wonder if this is going to be something that scares or takes those who are on the fence of maybe doing something for the first time and saying, Oh no, uh, I am not. (laughs) If 
President Trump could be going after me. I am absolutely not, not going to risk putting my name out there. Um, ain't happening. Ain't happening. Ain't happening. So that's the other thought. Uh, I can tell you that privately, I speak with a number of IndyCar drivers who are supportive. I'm not saying a lot because I, it's not like I'm on the phone with all of them every day, but I've had a number of conversations with well-known, high-quality champions, race winners, you name it, who are a thousand percent behind fighting racism, fighting injustice, fighting police brutality, fighting sexism, fighting everything that is bad with how one person might treat another. And those conversations remain private because they are not on the record interviews, but they also continue to remain private because I have yet to see those drivers of whom I've had those conversations take to their social media, post a video, write about it, uh, do something to expand upon those beliefs and share them in a public forum. Again, that's where something like today with Mr. Trump's targeting of Bubba Wallace, that it's words on the internet, right? It doesn't freak me out, doesn't wind me up too much, whatever, whatever. People say really nasty stuff to one another all the time. Do we expect it from the highest office? Eh, maybe not, but nonetheless, come on. If you're on social media, if you're on Facebook, like you see this stuff 10 times an hour, and it's like, all right, here we go. So again, come on. Uh, nothing in the world changed as a result of this. No one was born from it. No one died from it. Nonetheless, if we're just talking about a co again coalition folks trying to band together to do positive and stand up for rights and such i think instances like today might cause drivers to say i ain't doing a damn thing to possibly get mr trump talking about me ripping me down potentially ripping down my sponsors um it's a weird sport we're in <laughs> it's why a big name NFL, Major League Baseball, or basketball, or soccer player can say a lot of loud, aggressive, bold things and really not fear repercussions. They are paid handsomely by either the league directly or the team. Uh, they have tend to have a large platform, a lot of followers, a lot of influence. And when you're making a butt ton of money, well, it certainly gives you a, a more emboldened voice. When you are not making a lot of money and you're in a sport that is reliant upon advertisers for you to have a job, you got to think twice. And I know I mentioned LeBron James' name more often than maybe others, but Mr. James is very vocal and says some very pointed things where there's no question what he thinks about someone or something in this general area of 
rights and equality and such. And he is the best at what he does. He's making a zillion dollars a year. There is no chance the team he plays for or the league he plays in would censure him. Would I mean, truly, he's the rock that makes them possible kind of guy. Uh, that's a lot different from someone who is making a decent amount of money, right? You know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, half a million, maybe a million, a little over a million in IndyCar, but has direct corporate backing oil company this motor car company that some a bank uh, whatever restaurant alcohol name the thing well what did we see today with good old young mr reddick at richard childress racing came right out uh, was the only nascar driver that i saw that really stood up for bubba and that tweet came down pretty darn quickly why well uh, his team, his team owner, uh, big supporter, big friend, big everything with Mr. Trump. So there's an alliance there at the top that uh, young Mr. Reddick uh, was going against, the man who genuinely uh, owns the company that pays him. His sponsor, Caterpillar, uh, one of the most tepid, uh, weak need sponsors in that regard, I guarantee you a call from CEO or whomever at Caterpillar came in almost immediately saying, take that tweet down now. And all of a sudden a guy who's just trying to be a good guy and stand up for a friend, stand up for what's right is shouted down to delete the tweet. And you better know your place. We can replace you in an instant that's what we got in racing here. And I know you know this, John. I know that many of you listening know this, but it's it's why I always hold on to sympathy for IndyCar drivers, IMSA drivers, um, some cup drivers, although a fair number of the cup drivers, pretty powerful, big name. You know, they've got enough clout to where uh, they're not going to be thrown around by a sponsor or team if they want to speak out. Uh, but nonetheless, it saddens me beyond belief, John, that within IndyCar, topic of this show, other than, as you've noted, and I've just pulled up little baby Yoda's um, comment here, at Bubba Wallace, all of us at IndyCar, behind you, man, a hashtag I stand with Bubba. Uh, I think that's awesome, truly. And I'm glad that Zach did that. Not a surprise love the kid um this is a kid who is super smart is also chock full of faith uh someone whose prayer life is strong and is going to do the right thing not because it is necessarily popular or anything else but because he knows that within him and his value system this is something that he feels needs to be said and he is in agreement with and i'm sure knowing zach he consulted his pastor and here we are so good on him do i wish that there were what there were 26 drivers in the gmr grand prix 
Am I wishing that I was reading something similar from 25 other drivers that took part in the race? Absolutely. Do I understand why many don't, especially how situations like today might uh, be a little bit bugged out for um, stepping out and, and saying such things? Yeah. Um, good on you, Zach. Thank you for catching this, John. I don't always really do a great job of uh, keeping up with the on-the-moment tweeters and bookface comments so thank you i just have to hope that indycar will provide a bit of a blanket and shield for drivers to be more forthright and try and do more and i'm not talking about becoming social justice warriors or whatever stereotypical thing but just being more active and trying to do more than just entertain entertaining it's great. It's a pretty thin, uh, calorie-free existence if that's all you do in the world. And if at the time, at the peak of your popularity, power, influence, all that, you look back at the end of your life and say, "Yeah, I didn't do a damn thing for anybody. <laughs> I didn't want to risk my own thing by even doing anything. So I'll just stay silent. Think about me 100%. Uh, I hope that IndyCar can help work with teams, work with their sponsors, come up with some initiatives. Um, I'm hoping to help them, you know, uh, in the background with some of these things, just about making the series that I love, love, love better and more involved with the world. Um, I think that'd be pretty cool, John. Uh, let's go to, Ooh, Chris D'Amato, you send in a whole bunch of words. Let me, uh, I'm going to do a word count here. Your submission, 308 words, man. <laughs> it's about one sixth of all the words submitted for this episode. But, uh, let me do my best to compress a little bit. Hey, MP, hope all's well with you and your wife. Thank you, man. Um, for as much as I want to Go on the search for the lost engineering files of the Panos DPO-1 and who is holding them hostage. I'll save that for another show. After catching up on last week's show uh, on Sunday after the Indy Grand Prix and F1's opening round at Austria and hearing your opening question regarding the lack of diversity in IndyCar and lack of standing up for social issues and a big-name team effectively silencing their drivers out of fear of scaring off sponsors, I can't help but wonder what the F is going on with IndyCar. Uh, he says, you have the most exclusive of racing series. Um, talking about, see the comments from uh, Bernie Ecclestone uh, that came out. Uh, come up publicly and say, we need, need to be better. Uh, and they have a hashtag, we race on campaign going on. You also have the top team in Mercedes changing their paint scheme to all black and admitting they need to be more inclusive, not only on the team side, but at a corporate level. You have the Grand Prix Drivers Association going to F1 to say we want to publicly state end racism and have those shirts made for all the drivers. You had some drivers take a knee before the Austrian anthem for the driver's photo. And in Austria, a giant black end racism flag hanging over the paddock. It says, look, I get IndyCar doesn't have a six-time world champion leading the charge in Lewis Hamilton or an up-and-coming driver in Bubba Wallace with people like Jimmy Johnson and Dale Jr. getting behind him. 
But at what point does IndyCar realize they're completely lagging and need to get their crap together on this topic? As I hate to sound like a downer, but seriously, what the F is going on? I don't want to spend too much time on this, Chris, and not because the, your question doesn't warn. It's just, if you go back a couple episodes, you know, I, I think I've, I've gotten the majority out of this topic that I'm going to get, and I don't want to bore people by rehashing, rehashing, rehashing. A couple things you mentioned towards the end that are new are, are worth throwing up here. Just things that I observed. So you mentioned the campaign, We Races One. You mentioned the T-shirts. You mentioned the kneeling. You mentioned the slogans, the flag, and the stuff around the track and such. That's what it looks like when a racing series goes all in on something. That's when a race that's, I've never seen a racing series do this other than the W series, which has gone all in on women, which is again, that that's pretty amazing discussed before, whether we think it's the best format with only women competing, yada, yada. But again, that, that's the minutia. But if we're talking this thing, which is not a, so much about the paddock, there's obviously a lot of paddock-related things, but this is just more a plugging into global societal change taking place. This is what a series getting it right and going all in looks like. And holy crap, <laughs> did they make no mistake in letting everyone know where they stand and for that i have to applaud everybody in formula one for making that happen of course chris there's backlash to it uh, a lot of backlash man reading the comments and not on racer by the way you've noticed that on anything where any story where lunacy might take place in the comments they've just been turned off which i'm a big fan of um but looking at the stories about 14 of 16 driver 14 of 20 drivers take a knee six do not uh uh, the black lives matter t-shirt that lewis wore the all the things that were put into articles on sunday I read through a lot of them and not just things posted in the U.S. about it, but reading stuff from the U.K. and and whatnot. Facebook a little bit. It's always a way to hate humanity if you do too much of that. Um, And boy, the comments make it super quadruple clear that a lot of people who look like me of whatever age, they don't have to be my age, they can be a lot younger, they can be a lot older. Boy, there's a lot of people who look like me who just are not down with the brown. Not at all. Don't want this crap uh, ruining racing. They're no longer going to watch Formula One. It's all Lewis's problem. Why is Lewis dodging taxes? Why is Formula One bending their own knee to one half white driver some of the crap that i've read uh and on and on and on and on and 
I got to admit, Chris, I'm not a guy who is bothered by what I saw. I'm the opposite of bothered. Again, surprise, surprise. Uh, if you know me, you know my life, my wife, uh, our life, my sensibilities, the thing that I have spent a lot of my life trying to improve, the things today that are coming up that are some are fighting against for the first time. These things aren't new in my world. So the thing that is new is seeing Formula One have balls to say, you know what, we're going to try and use our platform as the world's second most popular sport to deliver messages that you can't ignore and you can't turn away from. So that's one end. The other end, it's IndyCar. And I want to pour 50 gallons into the flamethrower and just never release the trigger because, boy, what took place on Saturday at the track owned by the people who created the Race for Equality and Change program where you can put up any signage you want, hang any flag, any banner, mandate stickers put on cars, mandate patches go on. I mean, the people that own the series and the track are the ones who came up with this plan and you would have never known it. <laughs> Not a single thing. And again, if I missed it on one car here, or someone wrote something somewhere again, I, uh, I'm just saying in, in a broadest sense, there was no one lowering halfway towards a knee touching the ground. There were no T-shirts saying equality for all women, L. BGT throw in anything that isn't just straight up looking like me and male. And there's nothing whatsoever. Again, does IndyCar have to? Of course not. Have they ever done anything before? Of course not. Is it a little bit humorous, Chris, to realize that they actually put together this race for equality in change and announced it? and did nothing to support it <laughs> nothing yeah it's a little funny to create it and then kind of eh. the old if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it did it really happen if a new initiative is announced and no one really hears about it or comments about it does it does it really an, an initiative i wrote about this in my thing on racer normally what you do you go around, you get quotes and comments for something, right? Hey, we're going to change engine formula. We're going to do a new technical thing. We're going to bring in a new sponsor of a thing. We're going to do something, whatever. It's normal to go around to the paddock. You get a quote from a team owner, from a driver, from a whatever, and you include those in the press release. And it, what does it do? stylistically it shows unity it shows support shows positivity hey the paddock's behind this there were no quotes other than mark miles good man but there's no quotes from anyone in the paddock a driver a team owner anything saying 
Hey, good idea. We're behind it. Ask us how we can help. Nothing. So just a little compare and contrast here, Chris. What you saw at Austria is a racing series telling you what they're about and what they're going to do. What we saw at Indianapolis looked no different from Indianapolis last year when there was no race for equality and change. So, yeah, uh, might have rushed this one out. And also the contents of it, yeah, um, I'm, I'm not going to get into this too much. I can tell you, well, my good pal, William Theodore Ribs, he and I have spoken, if not once a day, every other day for the last three months, four months, and in particular, a lot. Whether he calls me, I call him, text back and forth. Again, we're old friends, so none of that's new. I'm just saying of late, probably right around when the Kyle Larson thing kicked off, it seemed like there's just been one thing after another, and whether it's black people being murdered or just, it's just been, he and I have had, you burned up our anytime minutes for sure. And we both knew the release was coming. We didn't know what was in it. He certainly was never asked, never consulted. Um, he called me right away and was like, uh, are you kidding me? Uh, and then called afterwards after Mr. Miles spoke on NBC about it and had some words that are very not Christian <laughs> that I I can't or won't repeat. Uh, we're going to try and record something here maybe tomorrow morning. Who knows? Just to discuss this. But uh, the REC program, um, you know, one of my editors at Road and Track, trying to be very polite um, when I would send in a column uh, for the magazine. And he's a really excellent editor but brutal and harsh uh, at times when he read what i submitted and thought that okay you think you're submitting the final draft but this is probably the first in of 10 drafts he'd just send back a response of well we've got the bones of a story here bones of an article and it was his way of not cutting me off at the knees to start, but politely telling me, you, you got the bones. There's no musculature. There's no circulatory. There's no organs. There's no skin. There's no brain. Like, you got the bones, man. Uh, we need to put some meat on the bones here, and this needs to become a full thing. IndyCar, with their race for equality and change, published the bones of a initiative. There's a lot that needs to be done. So hoping to discuss that with Mr. Miles. Hoping if they need it and or want it, again, just in the background. This isn't a paying thing, any of that. Just... As someone who's been in this space for a, a while, um, how can I help you make this what it should be, what it could be? Uh, 
So, yeah. Uh, imagine this, Chris. Imagine a time, five, ten, however many years from now, where we don't have to talk about this. Women racing an IndyCar, it's not a topic because there's four or seven uh, drivers of color. It's not a thing to talk about. They're there. Driver of whichever sexual identity. Not a topic. Team owner, engineer, chief mechanic, truck driver, tire specialist, refueler. Like, I'm just going to keep talking about the the coffee house, the Starbucks experience, or hell, McDonald's, whatever. You know, at least for where I live, you walk into one of those places where a lot of people show up to get their thing that makes them happy. It's a, a pretty well-balanced thing of skin tones, men, women, whatever. I just, that's normal world. Uh, it's just normal world. So bringing that world to the place where I work and many of you all love I just think that'd be pretty darn cool. And I hope that it doesn't come across as some utopian hippie, whatever thing, just like, Hey, wouldn't it be crazy if our sport was kind of a mirror of society? Let's get it there. All right. JJ Gertler always sends in funny things. Now that road America is going to be a doubleheader weekend. Is there a safety limit on the number of brats consumed or is it per event or the whole weekend? Is there a BOS? balance of sausages to equalize consumption among different size consumers well the answer is no i believe that i read whatever the dude's name is who wins the nathan's hot dog consumption contest every year in the fourth of july i think i read 73 is the record that's the number jj anything less than 73 brats you're a failure as a human being. It just, I'll have the t-shirt made if necessary. 72, not enough. Anyone could do that. Anyone. 73, that's the price of admission, my friend. Keith Lee, MP, Kamara Usman, or Cuban Jesus. <laughs> Some of you know that I'm a fan. Long well, I think since 2005 or so of the ultimate fighting championship. So yes, I'm a heathen on top of many other things. Um, Jorge Masvidal. Yes. Cuban Jesus. That's great. Uh, who you got for this weekend? He says, also, please remind Scott Dixon that he has to dye his hair bleach blonde. If he wins a sixth title as he, as he agreed on a previous MP podcast. Oh, I'm never going, uh, I'm going to do the dying Keith. Yes. They're going to have to make that happen. I don't have to sit on Scott to make that come true as well. Make him live up to that. That'd be unpleasant for him. Um, boy, I think you got to put your money on Kamara Usman for sure. Uh, I love Masvidal. I have for a long time, but he's only really gotten serious uh, recently, the last two years or so. Before that, you know, entertaining fight, but not a guy that went in with any real idea of how to win. Uh, Usman is just, oh boy, just, that is, who is, what's the IndyCar? Who is the IndyCar parallel to Kamaru Usman? 
Rossi. Yeah, just a technician, just single-minded, you know, Terminator-type technician. Um, yeah. Uh, who would who would be Jorge Masvidal in IndyCar? Should I say our boy DJ Willie P. Will Power? I mean, he's just freestyling a bit. Um, doesn't always get the results that he should, but, man, he's entertaining. Yeah, I think this might end up being the UFC equivalent of Alexander Rossi versus Will Power. Oh, I wouldn't want to see that fight uh, for uh, Alexander's sake. Mark Brown, Marshall, will you be traveling to Road America for IndyCar or IMSA? Would love to see a live show again. Oh, Mark, I would love, love to travel to Road America. I would just love to do a live show again, period. May or may not have parsed this. I'm a bit of an extrovert. Uh, You know what I have not done? since september of last year be in and around a group of people at a racetrack (laughs) nothing and so yeah i'm really missing it not as if i don't love being with my wife naturally but just saying uh i'm a bit of a service dog like being out and about walking around doing my thing having fun with people would say this, I don't know when I'm going to be traveling again to a race, IMSA or IndyCar or anything. At the moment, i got to admit, I had a thought today where it felt like catching a flight for Indianapolis in August might be a little bit too early. Uh, even if there was no, no real Corolla virus and such, um, it's not sure if my wife's going to be ready for that. Uh, to be home alone. So don't know when I'm going to get out, but especially with the Corolla virus, I think hosting a live show would be a real challenge because it's just done. Meaning there's no like budget, right? There's no, and here's security and here's chairs and here's someone enforcing folks sitting six feet apart and it's just usually done in a room somewhere or if it's with our awesome partners at cooper tires on the cooper tires stage but yeah this might be the sucky year mark where we have none of them uh this is coming off of 2019 where i had 12 I believe (laughs) Uh, we did a lot of them and I was really hoping and planning to do more, but both life and then a pandemic kind of got in the way. So sorry, brother, not going to see you or anyone at Elkhart this weekend, this, yeah, this weekend, I don't know when I'm going to be out. So yeah, I suck. Uh, Let's see. We're going to go to Ed Joris, compare and contrast the concept of a doubleheader at road America versus a doubleheader at Detroit or Iowa. Well, I don't know if I can yet, Ed, because we haven't had one yet at Road America. So I did speak with Andretti Autosport Chief Operating Officer Rob Edwards today on the topic of how do you plan or prepare for this doubleheader, the first IndyCar doubleheader that I can recall on a natural terrain road course. Um, I'm trying to think what we did three in 2013 was it toronto houston and 
what was it long beach i don't know maybe i'm forgetting maybe we did do it on a natural terrain road course whatever it is it's been a long time uh so i was just trying to ask rob about hey how do you prepare for this um so on and so forth so give me some good answers i don't know if there's any huge takeaways here um to offer that would be massively different going into the event ed because again we haven't done it yet but um i do know that heat and crew crew goodness crew health safety energy you know this is something that we're going to need to hope goes well uh boy i can tell you that crashing having a really bad uh saturday is not going to make things fun for anybody obviously because there's a race again on sunday but i'm thinking more of the if crews were worn out in a you know relatively quick bang two-day indie gp type deal here last weekend you're going to get the cars turned around pretty quickly and get going so there could be the opportunity for a day off but also keep in mind i'm sure some are working on their indy 500 cars as well uh, and then going into again pretty hot weekend here double header as well so i'm thinking more crew than driver at this stage don't have the answer yet but i can tell you that uh i'm gonna look forward to hearing about what this was like and then the fact that we go straight into iowa in a double header there oh lord i am not envious of uh the crew having to make all this happen ed but yeah we'll we'll know more about this we'll talk about this next week after i get some feedback of what was it like what happened uh let's go to andrew stewart whose twitter handle of at stubaka is pretty darn awesome uh tires what parameters does firestone give teams regarding pressures cambers and toe goodyear seemed to think teams were pushing the parameters they were given that caused the tire issues in the nascar cup race says having a car that weighs 1500 pounds more than an indy car and using a high downforce package can't help um well i would always use air quotes on a high downforce package when we talk about nascar because these are not really downforce vehicles of course compared to what they were before yes that would be high downforce but yeah we're not talking about real downforce cars um let's go with the pressure side that's something where pretty much any series you work in you're going to get that from a tire vendor tire partner Uh, as for camber and toe i don't know if granted i could be totally wrong but i don't really recall maybe outside indy um getting a tire manufacturer actually getting into then here's the camber and toe we recommend you run because you know be it ride height be it spring rate be it uh wheel rate be it you know there's a lot of factors that are too individualistic individual uh for indycar teams for tire manufacturer to really get into and here's all the ways we suggest you actually align your suspension uh could there be some suggestions that you do not go past a certain degree of negative camber out of fear of overheating and killing the sidewall and uh shoulder the tire and blowing it up 
I mean, that's wouldn't be out of the norm, but again, more oval than I would say road course as for toe and caster and whatever else. Uh, yeah, again, I don't, it's not something that I can think of that Firestone has really gotten into from my knowledge, but again, I'm sure if I'm wrong, I'll be told that would though be something where a good year in NASCAR where boy, they take away all kinds of freedoms and really do paint you into pretty hard corners as to what you can do alignment wise, ride height wise, all kinds of stuff that would be the norm. Um, even in IMSA though, I know that Michelin is rather forthright in saying these are the limits that we are recommending you stay within in terms of camber toe. Again, that that's not so much of a tire vendor's role to get into that. Um, toe is something that both from a performance standpoint, but also from a, that's something that gets modified from an individual basis, you know, from a performance angle, but also from a, what the tire's telling you angle. So, you know, so a lot of things that the teams will choose to do will influence the tire temperatures that come back. And in some cases, the toe gets modified to alter uh, the tire temperature across the tread compared to only making camber adjustments to do that. So all kinds of fun. But yeah, um, pressure, maybe camber limit if we're talking ovals. But beyond that, not aware of more. Uh, Lance Snyder. Hi, Lance Snyder. Uh, <laughs> you guys are killing me here. MP, this is a question for Rocky. Meow, 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 meow. And no joke, he's staring at me. He's looking out the window on the left. As I just went meow, meow, he actually turned his head and looked at me, which is kind of funny because he doesn't pay attention when he doesn't want to. And Eric, Eric Harkrader says, I'd also like Rosie's opinion on that. She's not in here. Uh, she is somewhere acting a fool because that is her official job in the house. All right. Uh, I'm going to do my best here to wrap up with a couple of questions and then say farewell to this episode. By the way, uh, Kanye West is running for president. So um, that's just something that I thought you should know. Uh, let's see. <laughs> it's a totally normal world we, we live in, right? Uh, let's, let's go to the end here. Uh, not end of the show, but just the last question on the page from Peter Nutt, a friend in Holland. Dear MP, ever consider migration? Um... I've always loved Canada, so I've always fancied the idea of living there just because I love it. Uh, I know that your question posed today was one in reaction to more acrimony and divisive things in our country. I got to admit, I love my country, Peter, uh, warts and all. Our country is a absolutely perfect, perfect one-to-one ratio of me highly flawed something that constantly looking for improvement realizing that i will never achieve all of it maybe even half of it but uh desiring to be better but also not wanting to run away to go somewhere else and you know try and start over so if by chance we were to leave and migrate somewhere, uh, it would be because we wanted to. 
something where we wanted to go live life and experience it somewhere else, not because problems, societal problems or otherwise, uh, or, oh, they they voted in someone I don't like. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, I think that stuff's pretty damn weak. So I don't know if I just got way too serious on you or if that's what you meant, but that's how it landed with me. Uh, right turn lever. Would a polished turd be preferential over an unpolished one? Hashtag me personally thinks this is an MP question. Um, I would have to go. This is unpolished of a show. And I say that specifically polished. I'd say you'd have to have something that was hard that could then be polished. Unpolished. uh, I think of something that's fresh and steamy and crappy so i mean the preference would be polished but yeah the show more often than not it's a little fresh and steamy of which i should apologize but don't uh aaron richmond says i rewatched the michigan 1998 cart race recently was blown away by how effective the hanford device was in improving the show and creating action after the relative parade at texas this year what's the feasibility of adding such a device to today's cars what's the argument against it against it well aaron i'll offer you the same argument that i and others in indycar back then said it was a joke it was cartoonish it was the most artificial thing possible it was pushed to pass five thousand. it was just it was a joke And so I totally get that the zoomy, crazy Michigan Speedway or name some other big oval, Fontana, where a car is five car lengths back and goes shooting by like it had afterburners. Looks amazing. At least for hashtag me personally, Aaron, it was really cool the first five or six times those passes happened. And then when I'm like, oh, Well, the dude running in 20th just did it to the guy running in 19th. Well, that's whack. Um, And then it just became, uh, okay, well, yeah. uh, It's the old hamburger thing, right? Love hamburgers. What if you had them every day for 30 days? And no, this is not the other hamburger question that I ask sometimes. Um, What if you had it every day, every single day? I mean, there comes a point where you go, Okay, enough with the damn hamburgers, please. That's what the Hanford device was for me. Oh, look, look at that pass and that pass and that pass and repass and pass and re and you go, okay, this is not driver skill. There's nothing. There's no real chassis setup skill that's making this. It's strictly this vertical plate attached beneath the rear wing that is punching such a big hole in the air behind it that if you get within (laughs) half a year, the guy in front of you will zoom on by you go. I know again, um, it looks crazy and cool and fun and it was for a while, but I just recall exhaustion from it and folks going like, come on, man. I mean, this, this fricking vertical plate, it's all it was, uh, fundamentally altered oval racing and of course handling and chassis tuning and driver skill it was involved corners but yeah uh 
when the passing starts happening with folks who are like, there's no way you should ever be able to pass that guy in front of you, but you can. That's maybe the argument against it. Matt Anderson. Thank you, brother, for always sending in good stuff. Says, Marshall, your comments about the Delta Wing on the last week in Sports Car Show got me thinking about when IndyCar was looking at implementing the Delta Wing. Do you have any insight on what the feeling in the paddock was like when that was being looked at? Was there a sense of, oh, please don't let this be the route they go with? That is absolutely what it was, Matt. Uh, This was also a Chip Ganassi racing uh, endeavor. So there was also, I don't, it wasn't partisan in that sense, but there was the feeling of it being a partisan thing, just like the, oh, Roger Penske bought IndyCar, conflict of interest, same kind of thing there. Uh, It was too different for an old traditionally traditional-ish type series uh, to really dive into and be all in with. That's what it was. I loved it. I thought it was crazy. I thought it was radical. I thought it was going to do great things to bring new eyeballs to the series. Uh, It was going to turn. That was the other thing, too. Oh, it'll never turn, and you're going to get to turn one, and you're going to crash and die, and it's all going to be bad, and blah, blah, blah. Again, none of that was true, but nonetheless, yeah, this is not something that IndyCar wanted. Keep in mind, a very different time for IndyCar, still in the Barnhart old school era, uh, Tony George-ish type era, Randy Bernard's involved and such. And I'm not saying these are all bad people. The era was bad because of the people who were there, but you know hell man (laughs) we just spent a little while talking about the race and equality change thing whatever it's called um and how even trying to do something progressive indycar with a totally different administration kind of halfway fumbled the ball here so imagine going back to a time when it was a definite non-progressive old school approach anti-technology type approach you bust out the delta wing uh yeah this was you know the only thing that didn't happen is indycar senior staff and some indycar team owners busting out the pitchforks and uh trying to light the thing on fire you know the, there was a kill it with fire sentiment from the majority, and that saddened me. But it was the majority. Then, big surprise again, uh, they ran the opposite direction, went to the the comforting arms of Delara. Uh, do you want to talk about fumbling the ball with the DW12? And so here we are. Uh, I do on occasion wonder what would IndyCar be like today had they adopted the Delta Wing and allowed a little bit more innovation from who knows swift or deferrin or one of the other bruce ashmore some of the other folks who wanted to build things to bring their stuff too and really have a very different looking series Uh, i wonder i wonder i wonder if we'd be in a better place uh all right down to the last couple here uh, Jordan Darwin, MP, the Sounds of Portland 1997 podcast. Glorious. Make sure all your listeners know to book some time listening 
to 2.65 liter splendor. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, uh, I really love that one. Um, to my vague surprise, not a ton of downloads on that one. Not a ton of listens. Uh, one of the better ones, if we're talking old school IndyCar sounds that I put up, but eh, there's still time. Uh, Northern Penguin 01 from the Reddit asks, Hey, Marshall, what do you think was the best season of IndyCar racing? During quarantine, I watched the entirety of the 2000 cart season and hashtag me personally thought it was amazing. I wish we could have something like that today. The cars, the tracks, and competition was amazing. And as a side note, JPM Juan Pablo Montoya is the worst luck possible that year, but it was what it was. <laughs> and it is what it is. As a younger fan, I don't know much about the 1990s IndyCar, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Well, again, best, uh, I suck at questions like these uh, because I've followed this for a long time, been in it for a long time, and I have a fondness for most of it. So I don't really have a, this one jumps out as the best of all time. Would say that 1988, really, I, I recall, is pretty darn awesome. 1991, uh, that being Michael Andretti's lone championship year, that was pretty cool. Uh, would say you get into 96, 97, 98, 99, mid if you were to spend more time on the ute on the tubes on the YouTubes and really start digesting that 95 96 uh through 99 I think you're going to have a lot of fun. Uh there's variety that we don't see today which you obviously enjoyed in catching up on the 2000 season, but there's also variety in terms of outcomes. Motors blew up and badly uh, big crashes happened that really altered how the championship would play out. A lot of things were, you know, if we look to today, it's not being critical of today, just saying that some of these variables, hey, oh, the, oh man, you chose that motor in that year? Ah, oh, wasn't the one to have, which we can look back and say now, but at the time they didn't know. You were on Goodyear's. This is, now granted, the show is sponsored by Cooper Tires. I have a, what does this go back to, 1989? Yeah, <laughs> my relationship with Firestone goes back to 89. Known him forever, loved him forever. Only ever used Firestones, I believe, throughout my IndyCar career and the teams that I was with. Not like I was the one dictating that fate all the time. Um feel really bad for the teams who are on good years, especially after Firestone came in. Uh, took Firestone a little bit, but not too long. And yeah, uh, boy, all of a sudden, if you were not on Firestones, you're having a bad time, uh, to borrow South Park phrase there. Um, dive in here, good old Northern Penguin 01, because you're going to find some fun, some diversity in fortunes, where... Wrong tire, wrong motor, wrong place, wrong time. Uh, something blows up and lays down the oil slick and four people behind all of a sudden, through no fault of their own, have their days screwed. And what happened as a result and their championship finish was bad and then the team dropped them. And really, if you look back to that race where the guy's motor blew and it kind of set the dominoes, like we don't get as much of that stuff these days. 
where everything's super reliable and, you know, 19 times over um, quality checked. So dive in there. I think you'll have some fun. 88, though. I really loved that season. I'm forgetting the reason why, but I do remember loving 88 as well. Uh, Okay. We are going to wrap up with uh, maybe, what do we got? I think we got two or three to go. Uh, Carlos, again, Carlos Villalobos, is the pre-chamber combustion chamber with spark plug tech in the new Maserati twin-turbo V6 allowed in the new engine regs. Could that allow the other highly regarded Italian brand to promote this technology as a third OEM? I don't know. Haven't seen the rules. Uh, don't know if they'd send them to me. Don't even know if they have the rules that are truly all the way done. I doubt it. These are the kinds of things that uh, I think we're just going to hear, no, that costs too much. We don't want to do that. Um, Derek Bartoshek, according to a recent IndyStar article, Roger Penske and Jay Fry confirmed that they have recently talked to Ferrari about being a third-engine manufacturer. and That Ferrari has also been in communication with Delara to gather more information, with Roger stating they've been to Delara. We've given them the info they need, and they have the high-level images. Uh, do you think this is still all grandstanding by Ferrari, or are you starting to take their interest in IndyCar more seriously? Yeah, I read that. Um, good on them for getting that. A uh, little bit frustrated here. I've been trying to ask this question, and a few others too, which is the reason why it hasn't happened. Asking for a little bit more time than usual to run through a lot of questions. Um yeah, been wanting to ask the man in charge that question too now uh, for quite a while. So um, good this information came out. Hoping to be the guy that presented it, but I don't always win, so that's okay. Uh, am I taking it more seriously? This sounds like due diligence is being done. Do I think Ferrari is really coming? I still don't. And it's just as a result of seeing their behavior in other series and other championships. It's not great. They are not taken seriously. Heck, even in Formula One, they're not taken crazy seriously. But sports cars in particular, um, it's kind of a flimsy thing. And in just their approach, how they do things and whatnot. So, of course, as I said earlier about Top Gun Racing, I, a million percent, Derek, want to be proven wrong. Not like my opinion means anything anyways. But I just, tell me where to sign up that says Marshall Pruitt will be embarrassed to no end and will love it and just swallow all of it and jump up and down and swear he's a, biggest jackass and idiot ever for saying they weren't coming i will sign it right now if that means ferrari comes in i mean it'd be the amazing for indycar i just don't see how it happens i just don't see it the the premise that this was presented under Derek, formula one going to a budget cap therefore we're going to have to reduce the workforce there's laws in Italy saying that we cannot just cut jobs whenever we want. I don't, again, I'm not getting into the full thing about it because I'm not remembering it right now, but we have a need to try and do something else with our employees. Okay, great. 
I would, I think there could be some problems here because if we're talking about there being a law in place that's in Italy that says you cannot just massively ax a bunch of people from your payroll, well, is there a proviso that says you can send a bunch of them to another country to work and that then qualifies and everything's okay? Uh, that's, I mean, one practical angle. All right, so is there going to be a Scuderia Ferrari IndyCar team in Speedway, Indiana, or wherever else, and 50 to 75 crew people are going to come over? Engineers and this and that's and the others? Managers? Okay, if that's a way to do it, then okay. The flip side would be running it from Italy, and I I don't know how that would be feasible. <laughs> I don't know how that would be feasible to run a team and prep cars and constantly ship them back and forth. Um, who knows if there's some work labor visa, something that says you could have a satellite operation somewhere else um, and provided you go back and forth X amount of times during the year, then it still qualifies as call it domestic labor. Again, I don't know all the, the, vagaries of this Derek but it just sounds a little bit convoluted and if we're talking the motivation for doing this is to not run afoul of an Italian labor law it clearly I'd need to understand more to give you a more educated response but it just sounds a little too murky and or tangled to make sense there. If we skip all that and just say, hey, promotions and racing and marketing and boy, Ferrari, we really are curious about IndyCar and we want to go do it. Again, they've had the green light to do this for a long time. Uh, haven't done it. And, you know, I would hope once again, maybe there's new desire to do this and that's why this is happening and why we're hearing about this. We should also keep in mind that Ferrari has said they could also look at doing a sports car program. Uh, that is the one that seems to be more likely. If we think about the World Endurance Championship, well, that's what they're talking about going into. The FIAWEC, that's like Formula One, FIA-based. IndyCar is not. It is also something where... Many, many of the races are contested in Europe. So a team based in Marinello sending its cars to France, to Germany, to Belgium, to England, to out farther east, Japan, China, um, the good old U.S. of A flyaway events and then coming back. Well, that's what they already do with Formula One. So I totally get it. I totally hear the, you know, hear it. And I hope, although I can't figure out how it would make sense, that Ferrari chooses IndyCar and does that to repurpose its you're no longer in F1 employees. But if we're talking reality, Derek, well, 
European-based manufacturer that fields a globe-trotting entry in Formula One, then repurposing the folks who no longer work in Formula One in a globe-trotting sports car series, um, coming from the same base, all with labor being done in Italy, um, that's the thing that jumps out as most practical to me. Hope I'm proven wrong. Uh, not totally sure that that's going to be what happens. So let's close with Mike Mikowski. I don't know if we've ever closed a show with you, Mike, and I don't know if it feels good, but it does to me. So hopefully that didn't creep you out. Uh, Jay Fry recently said, while IndyCar feels good about moving forward with a new 2.4 liter engine in 2022, but the new car that was planned for 2022 may take several more years to realize because the economic burden on teams. I recall him saying that because he said it to me and I wrote it. Um, to mitigate the burden on teams, he said the new car might come out via annual updates of new parts and pieces. How would this work? Which parts would come first, next, and so on? What would you like to see in the new car with respect to design and performance? So when I broke this story, Michael, I did dive into it, I believe, in the subsequent episode. I don't remember which episode it was, as Rocky's now meowing like a kook behind me. Maybe you can hear that. Rock, thanks, bud. Um, I like the idea. I just could not come up with a way, Michael, that this could happen in meaningful stages. Dude! What do you want? You're in the hallway. I'm in the office. If you want a little attention, you got to come a little closer. There you go. All right, I'm petting Rocky while we're trying to answer your question, Michael. This is my life. This is why I call this the unpolished turd of a show. It just happens. Uh, provided there are no changes, and we do have new motors in 2022, I expect those motors to plug directly into the current cars. So... I do not think that the tub will change the driver survival cell or whatever newish era term that's been used. The uh, monocoque, the carbon fiber tub. I expect that to be unchanged completely. Another thing too, which this is getting to be a little bit interesting in that conversation with Jay, maybe I'll get an update on this sometime soon. He mentioned that the going hybrid thing which was added to the list of new engine formula stuff one year after the engine formula, the original engine formula was announced for 2021 that got pushed back to 2022 because hybrids were going to be added based on the Corolla virus and the shutdown and all the changes in the automotive industry and delays and all kinds of things and finances. There's a possibility this 2022 motor, this 2.4 liter twin turbo V six, could just be a internal combustion engine only and hybridization could follow as I slur my words, despite only having coffee and water here. We could go even one step further, Michael in saying if there is a delay and the hybrid component does not land in 22, it's a possibility. It might not land at all. Who knows? 
the could what could technology look like in 23 or 24 would hybrids even be a thing could there be something else to go to who knows if hybrids don't happen for 22 i'm concerned they might not happen at all uh so there's that so i'm mentioning these things because it comes back to the chassis part if you're going full hybrid you well if you're going full new motor internal combustion engine plus hybrid just call that a hybrid powertrain if you're going with a full package it really would benefit indycar to have a new chassis that's designed from the ground up to accept that package to place the weight and get weight distribution and chassis dynamics as good as can be that's a bit of a challenge by bolting it into an existing car where you're working within a pre-existing creation. You've got limitations on how much creativity you can really roll out with something that's already in front of you. Being able to create it from the outset to have things optimized, that would be the perfect scenario. If it's just a motor and not the hybrid side, I don't know if there's as strong of a push to get this multi-phase chassis out i would say a new tub for sure would be the thing to look at pretty soon even though we know the new motor is fully expected to go straight into the current delar dw12 you know i i think that is the part that is going to have to happen quickly but then there's the other things to consider so with this slightly bigger motor meant to make more power we would expect radiator sizing to be different cooling needs to be different could there be an intercooler for the first time uh with this 2012 and on engine turbo engine formula possibly again if we're just trying to make more power um there's going to be some packaging changes that need to happen for sure in and around the current car. Uh, this is where, again, if the money was there, and I don't believe the teams do have the money to do this right now, or, you know, a year or two from now, it sure would be lovely to have a dedicated brand new car designed to take this stuff from the outset with everything just falling in the best place possible. So the weight distribution front to rear is great. The aero balance is great. The everything's great. This car's lighter. All the safety stuff is, again, integrated from the very first line drawn and CAD, all these things. If that's not going to happen, really, you know, we just have to think about, Michael, what are they going to do? If you throw in that hybrid system, which is going to sit in the bell housing behind the motor, that's a big lump of metal. That's heavy metal at the back of the car, right where it isn't needed already. Uh, So... There's a lot of things that if you're trying to do a multi-stage rollout, really depends, man. If it's just the motor, not the hybrid, uh, you probably don't need to do as much soon after it comes out. If it's motor plus hybrid, they're actually going to struggle to do the multi-year, multi-phase rollout because it's going to throw a bunch of weight at the back of the car. It's going to make the cars understeery pigs and we're going to have to start changing suspension to try and move weight distribution forward. 
we are going to have to add more arrow up front, I would imagine, as well, uh, to try and cure some of this, too. It's going to have to be a lot of stuff. Um, could it be wider front tires, more surface area, more grip to try and mitigate uh, some of the understeer? And again, I know that would add weight, bigger wheels, bigger tires, you know. Um, final note. If IndyCar chooses to go with the full new engine and new hybrid at the same time in the old car, I just really do not envy the folks in charge of trying to make it work and perform. Um, It's just going to be really tough. And I fear that there's going to be too much money spent on things to make new hybrid package work in old car, which would then probably have to be spent again to make it work in a new car. So, uh, not going hybrid, but that would also take horsepower off the table. Um, yeah, it might be the s- smartest thing to do from a car performance standpoint and cost standpoint. But who knows if that's the smartest thing from a relevance standpoint, Michael. Relevance in the automotive industry and making the two manufacturers happy in the money that they spend and the belief that they're sending the right message to their core buyers and audience that they're competing, trying to improve the brand. But without some sort of buzzwordy green type conjuring thing like hybrid, uh, maybe that messaging fails. So. You getting the impression here that what I'm kind of sort of saying is, man, this is a mess. Uh, this has a potential of being a mess. Not because anyone or any car is bad or doing anything bad, but, um, man, I just wish money was flush right now because it'd solve every problem. So I am Marshall Pruitt. This is a Marshall Pruitt podcast. Hey, what a surprise. This is your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. Powered by you, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com. You know, Cooper Tires, they're good people, they're good friends. And also, and finally, Bell Racing Helmets USA. We went a little bit farther on the clock than I expected, but I think we got to all but one question. So thank you for sending those in. I will look forward to getting some more of them done next week. Graham Rahal is our guest on the guest episode of the week in IndyCar. Got a double header to crunch coming up, a double header after that. It's going to be a busy month of July.